the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views expressed on the following program do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Perspective. Teaching. Conversation. This is Isaiah 61. Over the next half hour, you'll hear why the Lord provided those verses and how they can be used in witnessing, in the church, and in daily life as God's children. Now, here's your host of Isaiah 61 from Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis, Pastor Joe Sutton. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. This is Pastor Joe Sutton. Thank you for tuning in to Isaiah 61, uh, Radio Ministry of Spirit of the Lord Church in North Minneapolis. Now, we're located at 1001 Penn Avenue North. Our services started at uh, 1030. Uh, through the week, uh, we moved our Bible study from Tuesday nights to Friday evenings. Uh, you know, we do a community meal where we get out there and just serve a meal to the community and sit, talk, you know, pray. Uh, pretty much discuss whatever people want to have talk, just to let our neighbors know that the people inside this building are normal. <laughs> So I, I want to continue my conversation with you about um, an urban pastor's response. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, people have been really um, just concerned about, you know, when they look at, at, at violence in the urban community. Uh, it seemed like all across the nation after, uh, you know, violent crime rates and murder rates had dropped that about two, three years ago, they started picking up in uh, most major cities. And I just shared with you a story about my life, uh, something that happened to my family a few years ago when we got caught up in a, a, a drug raid. Uh, somebody gave bad information and said that, uh, you know, when the police had them, they said, give us the name of another dealer. They gave, uh, they gave my mom's address. <laughs> and we happened to be spending the night that night, you know, so, you know, the doors get, kicked in, shot grenades, smoke grenades, SWAT, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. Me and my wife are handcuffed, you know, all my older kids handcuffed, younger kids getting guns put in their face while they're sleeping and snatched out of the bed, rounded up into a room. Uh, you know, it was it was a it was an ordeal, you know, that that we had to 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 go through. And and I know I shared some things and I just got a little personal and and, and me uh, that's rare for me because, you know, I usually always stick to the word of God. You know, people get mad at me sometimes. Even my kids get mad at me. Dad, what do you think about? And I say the word says, and you know, no, no, I don't want to hear what the word says. I want to hear what you guys say. You don't want to hear what I got to say. You know what I mean? So I go back. But I just felt that there is something that really was dear to my heart. And I, and I, I see the whole thing really causing a schism in the body of Christ because how people view certain things. And I hear Christian folks saying one thing, and I understand that if you grew up with a positive in, impression of, uh, you know, the, the police force, and then you got somebody else with a negative impression, but yet we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're arguing over our viewpoint about the police and and, 
and really we ought to be sticking uh, to the context of, of, of scripture. And, uh, and so, and I share it with how, how I have to raise uh, my young men as African Americans, you know, and how do they respond, you know, when they get to a police officer, because it will happen being the North Minneapolis resident, it, it will happen. You know, once you give your address as North Minneapolis, uh, people's viewpoints towards you change. And I'm amazed a lot of times at how people in the body of Christ don't understand how that feels or don't really uh, can grasp how it means. And though you may not have lived it and you may not get treated that way, you should really understand what it means because you cannot read this Bible, this 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 book of the law, this this book of hope, this book of the gospel without seeing the same thing. Our Savior went through the exact same thing. You know, as you know, there's I remember one time somebody told us one time it which motivated our church to pray the way we do is that they said, you know, can any good thing come out of North Minneapolis? You know, and uh, and oh, <clears throat> I know people say that about felons. They say that about a lot of things. But, you know, when you're you're viewed upon in a context that people believe that no good thing can come out of what you do or where you live at. It, it carries a stigma with you. And sometimes you, you, you don't know how to handle that. And so some withdraw and then some get aggressive. You know what I mean? If you got a kid in school and you always say like, Oh, you know, your, your, your class is the most worst class we have. You know what I mean? So then some will draw back and just not even try. And then others will say, Oh, you think we bad? Well, I'm going to show you how bad really is bad. You know what I mean? And then you get into that thing. And so when we look, even when Jesus had to go through this thing where they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And here's Jesus doing miracles, man. This is Jesus walking around healing folks. Jesus is getting that revelation knowledge out, just plucking it out. And, and they still did not want to believe that he was who he demonstrated he was. Not just because of who he said he was, but who he demonstrated he was because they didn't believe that any good thing could come out of Nazareth and and to the point where even Jesus when he was in his hometown and he tried to do things there it was hard for him to really perform miracles and perform the miraculous because and he made that famous saying that we all pro that you know that not even a prophet is honored in his hometown and so it, here's Jesus who has a hard time doing miracles because of the atmosphere created that people didn't believe that who he said he was, who he was. So is it any wonder a lot of times that you look at communities like North Minneapolis or you look at communities, low-income communities, or where, where they're historically violent, and then you wonder why people fall into this mold? It's because no one believes that any good thing can come out of that area. And I was born in one of those areas, and I came out of one of those areas. And and I know that stigma that goes along with it. I was at a college in the in the Twin Cities here and meeting with some pastors and and I was voicing my opinion about something and the, and I remember a pastor came to me and said, "Wow, what great insight you have! You know, you know, you know what church you go to." And I explained my church and you know he's like, uh, "You know, I want to get together with you. I want to hook up with you. Uh, you know, where you at?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm in North Minneapolis." And once I said North Minneapolis, the conversation changed. Right. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's an interesting viewpoint. But, yeah, you know, we're going to get together. And then he walked away. And my youth pastor who was with me and we was with another North Minneapolis pastor who happened to be white, you know, and uh, and he said, how can he get together with you when he never 
exchange numbers or address with you. And the other pastor said, get used to it. Once your dad said North Minneapolis, he didn't have one half conversation with him. He didn't want to have conversation anymore because he just couldn't believe, you know, beforehand I was a wealth of wisdom and I needed to be hooked up with. Once he found out where I was serving, it was like, oh, no, I, I ain't got time to deal with nobody like that because obviously he wanted to rub elbows with somebody he felt was, you know, was well-connected and up-and-comer, and, and you know, that just doesn't happen in North Minneapolis. And this is something I faced from other people in my ministry all the time, and, you know, I faced it even more as a small church pastor when, when people get together and they want to know, hey, you know, hey, Doc, how many are you running? You know I mean? That's when pastors get together. How many are you running? You know, I'm not ashamed, you know what I mean, uh, you know, of how many people that I pastor. But then all of a sudden, you know, then you're you're pushed to the lower level of of the pastoral pole because you only have 60, 100 people and so-and-so has a 1,000 people. So so-and-so gets to open up in prayer and, you know, gets to go here and gets to go to certain meetings and, you know, you stay over there. Even when I work with you for Christ and, you know, and, you know, I be in, in my urban ministry you know, running 15, 20 kids and my suburban counterparts are averaging 100, 125 kids a week. You know what I mean? And they got invited to share at the at, at the at the different regional and national conventions and everything like that. You know, you share their wisdom. And, you know, I didn't get a chance to share mine because obviously my wisdom wasn't working too well because I wasn't averaging 100 people. But within the context of what I was, I was you know, I was maxing out as well because I mean, it's just you ain't you ain't walking on hundred people in the urban context. It's too much, too many territorial things, transportation things that are going on. But we have to understand something here: is that if we're going to help one another and and we're going to bear each other's burdens, we need to have a clear understanding of what the other one is going through and what's there. And we can't bite into this thing that makes us think that that, you know, no good thing it can come from a particular part of town or a particular area. You know, God says he looked upon everything that he made and it was good. You know what I mean? And it was good. And he, and he had Jesus come from Nazareth, you know what I mean? Even though he knew what he would endure. And even though Jesus proved that a good thing could come out of Nazareth, people still would not yield to it because they just personally could not believe that. And so a lot of times what you have to understand is, when, you know, and I work law enforcement, so I'm not being biased against a law enforcement officer, but I'm just telling you, when you walk into a situation as a teacher, as a preacher, as a preacher, right? You know, Peter did not preach, you know, a great sermon in front of Cornelius and them. He didn't prep. He didn't look at it, right? Because they were Gentile. He wasn't even supposed to be amongst them. You know, when you read, even reading what he preached, you're like, this is weak. You know what I mean? You know, you know, but the Holy Ghost fell anyway. Right. And then everybody's like, well, what are we going to do? I said, I guess we got to baptize them because they got Holy Ghost. He said, guess that. But Peter didn't come there ready to deliver, you know, no fire. He didn't come there ready to convert nobody because as far as he was concerned, this message was not for them. Even though Jesus had told them that eventually it was going to be for them. You know what I mean? He'd been told this, but he didn't come in there thinking that this was the moment that God was. And, and, and we like to take God's vision and justify our bacon and pork chops. We like to take that vision that God gave. But God was dealing him with people. How are you looking at my people? Because that's what he had to deal with. And, and we got to understand. So not every police officer, not every teacher, not every preacher, not every banker, not every everything looks at everybody the same. They'll look at one kid and say, wow, yeah, you know, little Timmy can do no wrong. He's going to be successful. 
But that little Johnny, you know what I mean? You know, and then they rattle off nine bad things about about little Johnny, you know, that goes in there. And then you wonder why little Johnny can never live up to what God has called him to be because we've heaped so much negativity and we create an atmosphere that little Johnny can only excel at being bad. He can't excel at being good because we haven't created an atmosphere for him to be good in. And so there's some teachers that feel because they're in a, they're caught in a certain school that, that, that they can't teach. You know, they, they're not going to learn no matter what I do. I ain't bringing my A game. We see that in sports teams. You could take a, a guy off of a particular team, right, where he's sad, and then you put him on this team that has a reputation and an atmosphere of producing championships, and all of a sudden he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we Minnesota people, we know that because we've seen many people lead the Twins, the Vikings, and the Timberwolves and go off and become perennial all-stars. <laughs> we was booing them when they were here. You know what I mean? Because those teams have learned how to create an atmosphere and where they believe upon them, and, and, they, and they rise to that level of belief. But then if they're in an environment where, where they feel they can't win, then that's what happens. So how do how do we rectify that? How do we get there? So you have to understand that when when sometimes when a, uh, if 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 all I see about a particular group of people, and I'm not and I'm and I'm not justifying nothing, but if if everything I see, if I'm watching a, a, a rap videos, I'd be scared of black people too. Yeah, I mean you know because yeah, everybody you know running around their pants sagging, heads going there. They don't work. They don't do this. They, everything like that. You know, I feel the same way about white people. I didn't think white people worked because I watched soap operas with my mother growing up and none of them white people worked. All they did was go around, cheat on each other, kill each other, sleep with each other. And that's what I thought about white people from watching soap operas. So I understand how what you take in can have a, a viewpoint of where you are and what you're doing. But on the other side of the coin, when we're in those professions, just like I as a preacher, I can't sit up there and put nobody. I can't look and say, like, all right, you know, just kids, right? I'm not going to preach my best. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I'm over here in this neighborhood. You know, these people ain't say, you know what I mean? You know, I, I sit down and hold a conversation with a Jehovah Witnesses or a Muslim or anybody come knock on my door. You know what I mean? I hold a conversation. I treat them like a human being. You know what I mean? And they know I do. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the issue is your soul. And I care about your soul. And what does God say about you? Well, who does God say that you are? That's where it gets there. But not every officer is operating under that. Not every judge is operating under that. Is it any wonder that 85% of the kids in our juvenile justice system come from single-parent or step-parent home? Because when that judge sees that kid standing there with that single mom, he thinks this mom needs help raising this child. But when that judge sees that kid standing there with his mother and father behind him, he instantly goes like, you need to treat your mother and father better. You need, he, he, he comes at the kid, and he gives the kid a second chance, not based upon what the kid did, but just for the fact that the mother and father, they're supporting him, and obviously you need to respect what your mother and father are doing. But that single mom stands up there, instantly in his mind, she needs help, system needs to step in. So 85% of the kids end up in the juvenile justice, even though those kids from two-parent homes do just as much dirt as anyone else. You know, when you look at the, the sentencing rate, in Minneapolis, that you can do the exact same crime, a minority can do the exact same crime as a majority person, and it's three to one odds of going to jail for the minority over against the majority person. The majority person gets a second chance, a third chance. The other one goes straight to jail because obviously they need help. Their community needs help. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to mess up your chance for success, as I heard one judge tell one of my kids. 
you know, I'm going to let you go. Because he came from, he's a you know, majority culture, two-parent kid. So it's our viewpoint that you have to look into. And, and we we have to see what is God saying, right? Our own Savior had to endure this attitude. But yet we should not reinforce this attitude on our other brothers and sisters in Christ because of a certain status that has been inflicted about this worldly system. Hey, take a break. We're going to come back. And I'm going to share more of our urban pastor's response to the situation. Spirit of the Lord Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church impacting North Minneapolis and the greater Twin Cities. Emphasizing the four pillars of godly thinking, training up godly children, godly marriages, and outreach to the community. Spirit of the Lord has quickly become a staple to some of the people who need God the most. As they focus on Jesus Christ, grace and truth bind them together to become God's best. Join them for service every Sunday morning at 1030 at 1001 Penn Avenue North in Minneapolis. Spirit of the Lord Church, a proud sponsor of Isaiah 61. TheFishTwinCities.com is home to the best in today's Christian music. The best melodies. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. The top artists. And the greatest message. Listen on TheFishTwinCities.com and with the free mobile app. The Fish Twin Cities. Safe for the whole family. Nice drum roll. Hey, welcome back to Isaiah 61, the radio ministry of Spirit Lord Church. I'm uh, Pastor Joe Sutton. Uh, big shout out to KKMS 980 Division for always uh, supporting us, uh, helping us be the church of the week. This week, I got a chance to, I got a chance to pray uh, and probably heard my voice echoing there. I had a chance, nice interview with with uh with Lee Michaels, but um, it's probably gonna take. I mean, I I, I want to promise you this. I won't leave you hanging. You know, I, I do have my own solutions. You know, to get in here, but I think I just need to lay a groundwork. Uh, last week, of why I feel the way that I feel, and why do I treat train my boys? And if you didn't hear me last week, you can go out to SoundCloud and listen to it. But you know, I would I I tell my guys to never turn their back on a police officer. So you people who believe that things happen because these people did not do what the police officer says, you know what I mean? You know, I'm just telling you, and I and and I don't and I don't have no problem with having a conversation with anybody. I would not share stories over the air, you know. But I, I'm telling you what I know, and not what I heard. And I, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm not saying that every police officer is corrupt or anything like that, but uh, I'm not turning my back. So if you ask me to do something, when, even when they raided the house and they wanted to handcuff me behind my back, I told them they had to handcuff me in the front and not handcuff me behind my back. They just do whatever they want to do, but it's not going to happen. So they had to handcuff me they handcuffed me in the front because I wasn't going to turn because uh, I seen too many things happen to people that 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 that, that, that when they did that. And, and then why is that? Because some officer officers you know, acted that way. And that's the image that's in my mind. And, and I'm not going to put myself in a vulnerable position because I do not trust the process in which that officer was chosen. You know, if I trusted the process, if, if, if you, and like I said before, you, I believe in giving officers protection when they make a decision. If I was a police officer, 
I'd be in internal affairs every day because I'm coming home every night. You can twitch and I'm going to blow your head off. You know what I mean? You can have a silver ring flashing. I'm shooting. You know what I mean? But that's why I left law enforcement. I mean, just you were, that's why when they told me I had to carry a gun, I said, you don't want me carrying one. And I walked and I left and I, I changed careers, you know, because I know how I am. I'm a survivalist and that's just how I was going to be. But in the, in the meantime, you know, I mean, you always ask, you know, other cops to turn other cops in. And it's just this little code that goes there. You know, but I tell people I'm a snitch, always have been a snitch, and I ain't got no problem snitching. You know what I mean? I back mine up. You know what I mean? That's just the bottom line. Cause it, and so I tell people, before you run with me, if you're going to do anything that you feel is going to need not to be told, I'm the wrong man to take with you on this ride. You know, that's and that's how I always live my life. You know what I mean? To do that, even as a young guy, you know, growing up in, in that culture, you know, everybody knew, you know what I mean? you I don't take Joe with you on no robbery or nothing like that because he's snitching. You know, it's like, you know, and, and so they never took me. So I was fine with that. You know what I mean? I, I was fine with that. We had a mutual level of respect there, but I could always back mine up with my hands or whatever I need to do. But I, I say this to say this, people, is that you have to understand something when you live in this context, right? They they estimate that 70% of the kids growing up in our major urban areas or even in our smaller violent areas have PTSD already. You know what that's like? Do you know what the, you, you got to understand what that's like? You know, when you when you on pins and needles, man, when you when you when when when, when you, you know, you think you're a strong guy and people are trying to rape you, people doing everything to grow up in that environment. Do you know what that's like? I said my kids would never experience that. You know, what I mean, my kids would never experience that. Satan tries to replay stuff in my mind. And, and and to bring a spirit of fear upon me, but I don't let it. I let my kids ride the bus. I let them they go out there. I don't I don't shelter them, even though I have great cause to. But it's a shame when my 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 greatest fear comes from their peers. What are their peers gonna do to them? What are their peers gonna do? They're gonna try to rob my kid. They're gonna try to do something like this. They're gonna mistake my kid for a game banger. They're gonna do something like that, and they gonna you know. And I, I got to come home, and and then what do I have to do? You know, I got to come out of retirement. You know what I mean? I got to come out of retirement to take care of business. What it, what it, what, what happened? You know, this thing, this stuff goes through my mind, you know, it, because of the context that I'm in. And, and, you know, and to have that, I'm going to share a story with you. Me and my wife are married, right? My wife's not understanding, you know, how I am. And this is years. I mean, I'm talking about this. She wouldn't have had, she had a hard time with me if I, if I first got saved. But I haven't saved about 10 years. And my wife came up, I was washing the dishes, and, and she came up behind me to give me a hug. You know, just, you know, a loving hug. Let me know she appreciated her husband. You know, we'd been married about three months. And I turned, and she, and she got behind, I felt something behind me. She didn't touch me, right, but I, I felt something, you know what I mean, because you get that, you know, you, you, know you, you, you imagine a lot of things when you got the syndrome. And, and, and I turned with my fist cocked at her. And she just was like hurt. She was like, well, you're going to hit me. I said, honey, nah, but don't come up behind me. Don't come up behind (laughs) a brother who's been to war. (laughs) And, you know, I said, I'm not used to nobody being in my house. You know what I mean? So, therefore, my senses was up and it wasn't like, oh, it's my wife. Now she can do that and it's no problem. But I turned with my fist cock in a defensive measure and she was like there and she said, what is wrong with you? I said, you just, 
you just got to know how I feel. I never sit in a room unless I face the door. You know what I mean? I'm always there. I don't watch no paranoia 24-hour type movies because I'm already paranoid enough. I said, you know, and, and I found out that, you know, I had PTSD. I mean, from what I've seen and what I've done and what I've been through, you know, is that edginess is there. And, and, and so you come out of urban context with that edginess, and then you go in there and you see, you know, what the people who say serve and protect, but you can't trust them either because they're out there on a whole nother mission because they don't see you as something good because they don't believe nothing good can come out of this neighborhood. And, and they got to believe that. You know, and they I I trust them being on their P's and Q's to say themselves. But you got to believe that. You know what I mean? You don't pull your gun out quick in diner. You know what I mean? I asked the police officer, I said, why don't you shut this drug house down? He said, well, we're practicing containment. I said, but you're practicing containment at the risk of my, at my children. He said, well, we're just practicing containment. You know, you just happen to live in the wrong area. We're going to contain it here, not eliminate. Right? And so now I got to put up with this. Because you're practicing containment. But would you practice containment on the other end of town? Or would you eliminate this thing? Next week, I'm going to share with you my journeys, you know, you know, through as a man of God and, and what some of the things that I've happened on stops in my life. And they go back and forth. And I just want you to understand all things ain't rosy. All things ain't good. But through Christ, we had a victory. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 